right. Woo. Love that song. Great job, Casey. Good job. Um, <coughs> first of all, if I start coughing, I don't know. I just woke up with this cough this morning. So basically, stay away from me. It's good. This is the one Sunday it's good that you're sitting in the back. Uh, and uh, so, um, anyways, if I sound horrible, hopefully the message will be better than I sound. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Lynn. <laughs> great. That's great. Uh, listen, turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy, and we're going to start a new series on the book of 1 Timothy, the book of 1 Timothy. And um, as we prepare for this uh, series, uh, you know, it's always kind of tough to start a new series, you know, especially on a book because you kind of got to do the foundational stuff. So we got to work a little hard today. And with uh, the soup and salad lunch and uh, our fellowship, I, I need to actually preach on time uh, today, and uh, so I need to whip through this information, but as I was thinking about this series and why I want to do the book of First Timothy, um, and why I want to go through this with you, I was thinking about just a basic principle, and the basic principle is this, what I've learned in my life And what I've learned in church ministry and what I've learned in being married and what I've learned in being a daddy and what I've learned in being a pastor, the one thing I've learned is that if God doesn't build it, it's not worth a thing. If if God is not the founder and the builder of my life, my marriage, my kids, my church my society, my culture, then, it, then it's, it's, the Bible uses a word called vain or futile. And what happens with human beings is, is that we can build things that look good outwardly. And the Bible talks about, in all of, uh, of biblical history, you see these cities built up like Sodom and Gomorrah. You see these towers built up and, and, you, and, and human accomplishments trick people into thinking if we build it, then it'll last. If we build it, it'll be great. If we build it, then it'll be powerful. But at the end of the day, if God is not behind it, it all crumbles and it all falls. Does that make sense? One of the greatest psalms that I read, it's a short psalm in the book of Psalms, and it's actually about the family. But in Psalm 127 and verse 1, it says, Unless the Lord builds the house... Those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Even our strength to stay awake at night and to watch over everything that we have, if God's not behind it, our staying up and watching from the tower, from the the highest tower, it's all in vain. That's certainly true about the family, but when it comes to the church, like Cross Point Church or any other church in the world, and there are billions of Christians worshiping all over the world this morning. Well, wherever it's morning in the world, you know what I'm saying. But Jesus calls out to his church, and he says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, I will build my church. And I love that verse because sometimes we feel like we're supposed to build the church. And really, the idea behind church or family or our personal discipleship is to get out of the way of Jesus and let him build it. I don't have to build it. I don't have to make this thing work in my family or in my life or in my church. 
And that's what 1 Timothy is about. 1 Timothy is a pastoral epistle where Paul is telling Timothy, listen, build, let God build the church. Create the healthy environment where God is doing the building, where God is doing the church, where God is the foundation. John MacArthur says in one of his books, he says about the church, and and this is one of the reasons why we're going to go over 1 Timothy, but he says, you know, about the church, we don't want growth in the church that is manufactured by human formulas, programs, and gimmicks. We are content to focus on aggressive biblical ministry and to leave it to the Lord to add to his church, Acts 2, verse 47. Our task is to be faithful in what he has designed for us to do. And that's our task, is to be faithful in in doing what he's designed for us to do. And 1 Timothy is a book that tells us in our personal discipleship and in our church how to move forward so that it's God that's building it, not us. So that it's Jesus building it, not us. But one of the reasons why churches often don't go to the book of 1 Timothy, I'll just tell you straight up, I'll tell you straight up why churches don't build their church or don't allow Jesus to build their church on the environment that 1 Timothy tells the church to do it is because 1 Timothy is controversial. Everybody say controversial. It is politically incorrect, this book. Pastors avoid it. It is not a 21st century book. It talks about how men are to be leaders. It talks about sexuality and that all forms of of sexual promiscuity or homosexuality is wrong. There are about 10 hate crimes in the book of 1 Timothy in some states in our country. Amen? Amen. And so churches would rather avoid it and go off to their gimmicks and to building the church their way in their cultural relevant way as opposed to letting Jesus do it. And sometimes we do that in our families too, don't we? We don't listen to Jesus and, and we don't let him build the foundation of our life. This is a controversial book. And, and I'll be honest with you, it is not a book to go to for human-made church growth. In fact, we might lose a few people because we're going to go through the book of 1 Timothy. So I tell you in love, this is what Jesus has for us to transform our lives. And that's why we're going to do 1 Timothy. Now, with that introduction, let me give you some facts, all right? And today we just got to do foundation, so it's going to feel like a seminar a little bit. Everybody say Seminar. Not the most exciting sermon in the history of the world, all right? But we got to do the, the facts behind this book. First Timothy is a New Testament book. Here's some facts about it. Number one, it's a pastoral epistle. It's a pastoral epistle. There's three pastoral epistles in the New Testament, First and Second Timothy and the book of Titus. For some of you, that's review, but some of you, you're just learning the Bible. And so I want to teach you some of the basics of the New Testament. There's these books, and the reason why they're called pastoral epistles is because they were written to pastors. And in particular, number two fact about the book of First Timothy is it's written by the Apostle Paul. It's written by the Apostle Paul to Pastor Timothy. 
Timothy was a, a recruit of, of Paul's, and uh, he was a pastor. And so Paul is writing this letter, and he's telling him how to pastor the church. And then he's telling him what to tell the congregation about how to pastor the church and everything like that. And I wrote this down in my, in my notes, but that revelation, revelation from God comes through the personality of history. And even though Paul wrote it to Timothy, it's inspired by God and profitable for all believers. Everybody say all believers. So even though in history it's written by Paul and his personality is coming through and it's written to a young pastor named Timothy, it's profitable for all of us because revelation from God comes through the personality of history. Now, let me just stop there and just say this. What changes our life is not information. What changes our life is revelation. That's an important point. And God speaks through Scripture to you. God speaks through this letter from Paul to Timothy to you. And he's revealing things about you. When I was first uh, uh, kind of when I was about 16, 17 years old, I remember how I first started uh, reading the Bible. My oldest brother came up to me. I was about 16 years old. I can't remember if it was 16 or 17. It's all the same. But anyways... And he comes up to me, and he was like, well, I'll put it in my own words. He's like, you're jacked up. You are jacked up. You need to hear from God in your life. And I'm going to tell you one sure way to hear from God. What you need to do is you need to read the Bible. And the way you read the Bible is start in the New Testament and, and most of the New Testament is letters written from a guy by the name of Paul to a church or to a pastor like Timothy or Titus. And it's a letter. And what you need to do is read those letters as if it's God's letter to you. As if God is speaking to you. As if God has written you a letter and you read it as if God is talking directly to you. So find somewhere in the New Testament. Go camp out there and read it every day as if God has sent you a new letter in the mail every single day. And read it every single day. So what I did was, I thought that was very helpful for me. And so what I did was, is I went to the book of 2 Timothy. And why did I go to 2 Timothy? Because it's a short letter. Amen? And I read 2 Timothy every day for about 30 days. And I read it as if God were speaking directly to me, and it started changing my life. And so after I read 2 Timothy, I was like, well, trick it, man. I need part one. So then... I went to 1 Timothy. And so actually where God transformed my life and called me into ministry is where we're at right now, 2 and 1 Timothy. But the only thing I want you to know is this. This is not a lecture hall. Say, not lecture. This is a worship hall. This is a place of worship. And what's happening is we're breaking open the Word of God, and God is revealing things to you that I know nothing about. But he knows, and he's speaking through his word to you as if it's a letter. And if you knew that God had sent you a letter in the mail every single day, would you not, as soon as you got off work, you'd go open that mailbox, wouldn't you? If you knew that he sent you an email, wouldn't that be the first thing you read in the inbox? If you knew he sent you a text or whatever on the iPhone, if he sent you a Facebook message, you knew there was something on your wall from God, would it not be the first thing you would attend to? And that's the point. This is God's word to us. And he's speaking to us even through 1 Timothy. 
So even though it's written by Paul to Pastor Timothy, remember, revelation comes through the personality of history to us. Now here's the other fact, number three. It's written approximately A.D. 64. And the only reason I point that out to you is that Paul was executed for his faith probably around 67, 68, uh, and, you know, so it's, it, you kind of got to decide where that's at. And so, you know, it, this might have been written around uh, 64, 65, depending on the death. But it's, it's written towards the end of the Apostle Paul's life. And in 30 years of time, he got converted around 33. He dies around 65, 67. This is at the end of his ministry. So it's very poignant because it's a letter coming from an old man who's about to die for his faith. And he's, ri- he's writing to this pastor with this kind of urgency of this is what the church is about. Don't forget, I'm about to get my head chopped off, but I don't want you to forget what the church is about, how to build up the church, or how to let Jesus build up the church. And so that's the reason why that date is important. It's a late letter from the Apostle Paul. Now, let me move from facts about 1 Timothy to key themes of 1 Timothy. If you're in a life group, you've got to pay attention. So wake up if you're in a life group because you'll be talking about these. But key themes of 1 Timothy, number one key theme is that the church should be about, just like all believers should be about, number one, the glory of God, the priority of the glory of God. Everybody say priority. I'm having you repeat because I'm giving you a lot of information, so I'm keeping you with me. You know what I'm saying? But a key theme is is the glory of God. Our life should be about glorifying God, showing off God, magnifying God. God is the priority of our life and our ministry and our church and our families and our our personal walk with Jesus. Our goal is to glorify God, to show him off. Our first goal is not our comfort. Our first goal is not our convenience. Our first goal is not our consumerism. Our first goal as blood purchase purchased people owned by God because of the death and resurrection of Jesus is the glory of God. And Cross Point Church has to be about, number one, the glory of God. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 17. And I love the way Paul writes. He, he writes like he preaches, and he writes like a preacher would preach, which is just sometimes randomly, just from one thing to another, and then he breaks off, and he goes down rabbit trails and everything, and he'll be talking about something real practical, and then right in the middle of this kind of prose, he's just like, I got to praise God right now. I got to glorify, and he gives these doxologies. And these are some of the most powerful doxologies in all of the Bible. Look at chapter 1, verse 17. He breaks off in the middle of this letter. Like, here's what you need to do, and this, you need to take care of this. And verse 17, and by the way, to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Like, I just want you to know, Timothy, and I want, you, I want your church to know and I want, I want all churches to know that, that the glory belongs to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And may he be honored. And may he be glorified forever and ever. May his name be lifted up. May he be shown off. Here's another passage in chapter 6. Go to chapter 6. Another doxology, one of the most famous. And this really breaks in. I mean, it's very parenthetical. 1 Timothy chapter 6. In verse 15, Paul says to Timothy, 
Um, you know, he's talking about, you know, fighting the good fight of faith and some real good stuff there. And then verse 15, which he will display at the proper time. And then boom, he breaks off as if a big parenthesis. And he says, he who is blessed and the only sovereign, the king of kings and the Lord of loans, lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. And I love that passage. The reason why I love that passage is that passage was what led to the conversion of Jonathan Edwards, who's like my, one of my favorite pastors of all time is Jonathan. I love Jonathan Edwards. In fact, in the summer, I might wear my T-shirt. I have a T-shirt, has a picture, has a face, has a face Jonathan Edwards, right? And it says, Jonathan Edwards is my homeboy. And I thought about preaching it today, but it's still wintertime, so it wouldn't be very appropriate, plus the fact I need to lose some weight. But anyways, Jonathan Edwards got converted on this because he realized in this verse that, that all of his life and that all of the world was about this God trying to reveal himself and that God's beauty, his, his light was unapproachable, so beautiful, so awesome in holiness, so great in, 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 a, in, in, in awesomeness and not jacked upness is God. That we can't even look on him. He's too beautiful. If we saw even an inch of his beauty, we would die for wonder. That's how awesome God is. And God should be loved just because he is God. Just because he's beautiful. It's about the glory of God. And so the church is certainly about to be... Uh, should be about the glo- God's glory. And that's a key theme in 1 Timothy. Here's a second key theme in 1 Timothy which we'll get to and we'll spend most of our time on, but uh, the second theme is gospel transformation. First Timothy presents a church that presents the gospel in such a way to where it transforms people's lives. And I'll come back to that here in a minute. Number three, key theme of First Timothy, church leadership. How leadership is to be structured. How church leadership is to, how the government of the church should be, should, should lead the church. And then number four, key theme, is world evangelization. World evangelization, that's a key theme. Uh, Paul keeps saying, you know, God wants everyone everywhere to be saved, and, and, and Jesus is the mediator. There's one mediator between God and man, and Jesus Christ is the Savior. He's the mediator, and, 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 and God showed patience to me, Paul, uh, uh, chief of sinners, so that through me the patience and the mercy of God could be presented to everybody so that everybody could know if I can be saved by Jesus, then everybody can be saved by Jesus. Nothing is impossible with God. So with some of that foundation, that's one sermon. Let me go to my second sermon of the day. You ready for second sermon of the day? Amen. I want to focus today just for a few moments on Paul, how Paul met Timothy. And so I want to, I want to go to the book of Acts where Paul meets and recruits Timothy. And I want you to see this relationship And uh, it's going to be very helpful. You'll see at the end why. But Acts 16, and starting in verse 1. Acts 16 and verse 1. I want you to see how Paul recruits Timothy. I want you to see this relationship. Paul is on his second missionary journey. He had famously three missionary journeys that are listed of the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. He's going around. He's preaching the gospel. Gentiles are getting saved. Jewish people are getting saved. He's on his second missionary journey. And uh, 
on the first missionary journey, he came to, he came to a place called uh, Lystra. And in Lystra, all these people get saved. And it's thought that probably the mother and grandmother of Timothy got saved on that first missionary journey. And Paul probably met Timothy on that first missionary journey. And then on the second missionary journey, he's coming back around to Lystra to visit them and, and to see how the churches are doing that he founded on his first missionary journey. And so uh, he comes back around, chapter 16, verse 1, and we see that Paul's going to recruit Timothy. Look at verse 1. Paul also uh, came also to Derby and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium, and Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So here's what I want you to see. It's likely Timothy converted on the first missionary journey. Paul comes back around on the second to visit him, and he sees this young guy, and this young guy is growing in the faith. He's well spoken of in the church. This is a young guy on the move who has a call on his life, and Paul's like, I am taking you with me. Now, the only problem is, is that his, his mama is Jewish and his daddy is Greek which means he's an uncircumcised guy because the Greek daddy is going to be like, I don't want you to be circumcised like all the Jewish people because I'm Greek and you're my son and I don't want you to be circumcised. Well, Timothy comes to faith in Christ and what Paul is doing is he's going into these synagogues to these Jewish people and he's saying to the Jewish people, Jesus is the Messiah that was prophesied in Isaiah. Jesus is the Messiah who was prophesied in the Old Testament. He is the coming of Messiah that you have been waiting on. But the Jewish people aren't going to listen to him if Timothy, who everybody knows is half Jew, if Timothy's not circumcised, then they lose their credibility to the Jewish people and they can't present the gospel to them. And so Paul takes Timothy, this tells you, everybody say committed. Yeah. Amen? Hello? I mean, Timothy is committed. I mean, you love Jesus if the dude says, I love Jesus. Do you want to go into ministry? I want to go into ministry. You got to get circumcised. Here's a flint knife. Like, I love Jesus. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, this is not like circumcision of a baby boy. This is a grown man, and he's committed. And, but what is he committed to? He's committed not to saving himself by outward works. He's committed to nothing getting in the way of him and Paul presenting the gospel to unbelievers and to lost people. Amen? He doesn't want anything to get in the way of them. Now, we got a problem. Because Paul circumcises them, takes them around, they preach the gospel. But in the book of Galatians... And I have this up on the screen. I want to show you this. In the book of Galatians, Paul talks about how circumcision, how people who demand circumcision should be anathema. They should be like uh, not thought of well. And in Galatians chapter 5, verse 2, I want to show you this. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 2 and following, uh, Paul says this to the church in Galatia. This is a letter written to the church in Galatia. In chapter 5, verse 2, look, 
I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well who hindered you from obeying the truth. This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. Now watch this verse. Watch this. Verse 12. I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. There were people in this church who were saying, if you want to be saved, you need the gospel of Jesus, plus you need to be circumcised. You need the gospel of Jesus, plus you need to be circumcised. And Paul is so upset at this teaching of circumcision as a way to be saved that he says those who are coming into the church and they're acting like they're believers and they're saying it's the gospel plus works, it's the gospel plus outward works, I wish that they would emasculate themselves. Do you see what he's saying? He's like, I wish they would... This is the Bible, not me, all right? I'm a Bible teacher. Everybody say Bible teacher. He's saying, I wish they'd just go the whole way. I mean, that is powerful. That is like strong. That's like shock. Y'all are blushing. I see it. So how do we square what he's saying with Galatians to the book of Acts? Like, what's going on? And here's what's going on. There's a difference between reaching lost people and reaching believers. Believing brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ who demand outward forms, who demand outward works in addition to the gospel of Jesus. They say, I love Jesus. I know the gospel. I believe the gospel. But if you really want to be saved, it's not just faith. It's faith plus works that saves you. Those people, Paul is like, kick them out, ignore them. They are useless. They are false. They are bad teachers. They, I wish they would just emasculate themselves. But when it comes to lost people, everybody say lost people, we should do everything we can to remove obstacles to preaching the gospel to lost people. So it's a difference between audiences. If the audience is lost people, then we should do everything we can to make a connection within biblical principles to reach lost people. In fact, balance Galatians with 1 Corinthians. I know it's a lot of information, and if you forget some of this, okay. It's not a lecture hall. It's a worship hall. But 1 Corinthians chapter 9 And this will be up on the screen as well. So you can turn to it in your Bible if you want, but it will be up on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. Listen to what he says about his relationship to lost people. Very different than his relationship to legalist or legalistic people in the church. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. 
To those who are under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings." And that's why Timothy Timothy was circumcised not to be saved. Timothy was circumcised so that together they could become like the Jews, go into their synagogues, preach the gospel, and people would come to know Jesus Christ. And that's very, very important. So back to Acts chapter 16. Let me read one more verse. Acts 16 and verse 5. So Paul recruits Timothy, and they go to these churches, and they're reaching people, and and they're strengthening the churches. Verse 5, it says, So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. They were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Now listen, this is why Paul and Timothy did ministry, and this is why the church exists. Two things. Number one, in the church, people should be strengthened in their faith, and in the church, more people should be reached with the, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Does that make sure? So two things should be happening in your life. Number one, you should be strengthened in your faith because of the ministry of the church, but number two, you should start seeing people around you come to faith in Jesus Christ. You should see numbers of people coming to Jesus Christ. A church, and this is what Paul and Timothy's agenda was, a church should have both a quality of discipleship and a quantity of disciples simultaneously. That's their agenda. That's why Paul recruited Timothy. And you say, well, dang, man, like... How do you get that done? Like, how do you provide the foundation? How do you provide the garden, the soil that's rich so that I can grow in my faith, but also so that people in my society can come to faith in Jesus Christ? How can, how can we create a soil, a healthy environment in our church so that I'm being transformed, but also so that my friends and my family are being reached, people in my society are being re- reached? And that's what First Timothy tells us. 1 Timothy is all about gospel transformation. 1 Timothy tells us how to do church in a way to where we are strengthened in our faith and our numbers are increased. Let me give you, as I kind of start to wrap this down, go back to 1 Timothy now. And let me give you the key verses here. Strengthened in faith. Growing in numbers, a quality of discipleship, but also a quantity of disciples are being reached. First Timothy is all about gospel transformation. Look at First Timothy chapter one, verse five. Paul says to Timothy, he says, "The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith." Gospel transformation. In other words, 
You want a church and you want a message that changes you from the inside out, not from the outside in. You don't want your church or your message to be, I'm going to change because I'm going to do outward things differently and that's going to change me. That's not gospel transformation. The gospel transformation is from a sincere faith, from a pure heart. It's inside out transformation and that's what 1 Timothy is all about. Gospel transformation, grace transformation, God changing our hearts being strengthened in the faith. Look at uh, chapter 4. Jump down to chapter 4 and verse 8. Chapter 4, verse 8, he says, For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. I live in... Washington, y'all know, everybody heard of Five Points? Y'all know about Five Points? Dude, that place is flat popular. Y'all know that place is hot. There are so many people, that means like really popular. <laughs> there are so many people, they run, they go, they go to Five Points and they're working out all the time and the whole community goes there. Even Morton goes to Washington to work out, amen? That's how popular that place is. And, and Paul is saying, that's good, like physical and, 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 and uh, uh, bodily training is of some value, but godliness is even more valuable because it has value for the present life as well as the life to come. And so ultimately, Paul's going to say, look, it's about grace, it's inside out, but you cannot compartmentalize belief from behavior. Ultimately, the real gospel of grace transforms people and strengthens them in their faith. They become more godly, not less godly. And here's how you do church in a way to where grace is changing people and producing godliness. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. Paul tells uh, Timothy... But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Here you see he's saying Flee bad things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. And then, I think it's one of the key verses in the whole Bible, fight the good fight of the faith. And I almost titled this series, Fight the Good Fight, but I'm kind of, I'm I've been in ministry for eight years. I've been coming up with clever titles for series all those eight years. I'm just like, I'll just call it Jonah. I'll just call it First Timothy. I don't care. But that could be, fight the good fight of faith could be the message of 1 Timothy. Like, how does the church fight the good fight of faith so that we are strengthened in the faith and we're reaching new people in a healthy way, in an environment that's biblical and wonderful? So that prepares us. We want a quality of discipleship, but also a quantity of disciples. First Timothy is going to tell us how to do our church in such a way. When I, I, went, on, um, I went to uh, Florida on vacation a few years ago, which I've now famously told you about. I like Florida. It's nice. And uh, anyways, so I went to two churches. Well, actually, I went to one church. And uh, this church had like an hour and 30-minute worship service, which was great. It was a Presbyterian church, so not the most exciting church in the history of the world. 
Uh, but it was good. It was biblical, but the people weren't very nice. I mean, like we took up a whole pew and like nobody talked to us, even though we were visitors, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, but it was a very mature church. I mean, the, the teaching was like phenomenal. In fact, I was, I almost left ministry. It was so good. I was like, I'll never be that good. Uh, it was really good teaching. And, um, but, you know, it, there was just this sense to where, you know, it really wasn't about reaching people, you know, it was just kind of about their own people. And like, we were kind of these outsiders and like, I don't know who you are, you know, that kind of thing. But then I remember on the same trip, we saw this church and it had a sign and the sign said, it's a totally different type of church. The sign said, you know, so-and-so community church, home of the 30 minute worship service. I mean, 30 minutes, I can't even get an introduction done in 30 minutes. These, this church is bragging about the fact that their worship services are in 30 minutes. And I know, I know their whole marketing thing. I know their gimmick. Their gimmick is, hey, come in, we'll knock it out. It's like fast food, boom, it's like a microwave, poof, you know, and then you can go eat lunch and you don't have to get bored and you don't have to sit there and you don't have to worry about your ADD problems and all of these things. And it was like, and you know they're reaching people. I bet you that, in fact, it looked like a pretty big church. I bet you people loved it. They come in with their Starbucks, boom, sit down, la, 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 be nice, leave, bye, you know, and then they leave. And, and there's just lack of balance. And what First Timothy does is, on the one hand, it doesn't make you like the Presbyterian church where you don't like anybody else but yourself. You're inward, ingrown, you're all about you, you're all about your holy huddle. Nor does 1 Timothy allow for you to be the church or the home of the 30-minute worship service where you're a million miles wide and an inch deep. But what 1 Timothy helps you to do is strengthen your faith, but also reach out to the lost, reaching out without watering down. And also in your own life, 1 Timothy gives you principles for your family, for your discipleship, how to be a man, how to be a woman, how to have honoring relationships with each other. 1 Timothy is awesome for our discipleship. So get fired up. Here's the way it'll work, and then I'll pray. We're going to do about four or five weeks. I can't remember how many. We got Easter coming up. Y'all know Easter's coming up. It is insane. So we'll do a little bit of 1 Timothy. We'll probably get through the first chapter, and then we'll break away from it and do a Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Easter Sunday series called Jesus on Mission. And then after that series, we'll come back to 1 Timothy, and we'll do that. All right? So let's pray. Lord, thank you for um, this morning. I thank you that you want to do two things in our life. You want to strengthen us in our faith. And I pray that by grace you'll bring about an inside-out transformation. But also, Lord, I know that you want us to be fishers of men. I know you want us to be the light of the world. I know you want us to be a shining city on a hill. And so we pray that you bring balance and that you bring truth and life into our life and Lord that you'd make us an exciting church but also a church full of substance I pray that you'll make us uh, not shallow or nominal in our approach to your glory but that you'll make us intensely um, focused and yet full of joy and hope in your presence if you don't know Jesus let me be like Paul and Timothy let me come to you and ask you to 
believe in Jesus, to believe in the gospel, which is that he died for you on the cross. You don't have to add to his work any works of your own. You don't have to add outward clothes or outward uh, religious or religiosity uh, or, or anything else. What is required is that you receive what Jesus has done for you. Do that in your life. And for believers, let's, let's believe God for being strengthened in the faith. God, lead us as a church, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.